If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Isaiah chapter 9. If you don't have your Bibles, everyone's got one of these. You can pull out your Bible on this, all right? And you can scroll to Isaiah chapter 9. And you say, well, Will, come on. Seriously, we're t- this is Christmas. Why are we talking about the Old Testament? You've got to remember, everything in the Old Testament pointed to one thing in the future. And that was the coming of Christ to die on the cross for the sins of mankind. And everything in the New Testament looks back at the cross and what Jesus accomplished on the cross. So the cross becomes a central piece of human history. So everything in the Old Testament points forward, looking to the future day of the Messiah to come to save the world. And then everything in the New Testament looks back at what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Now, obviously, Revelation is still out there, you know, still looking forward and stuff like that. But for the most part, that's what the Bible does. It all focuses back to the time of the cross. And and it's interesting that we're never commanded to celebrate the birth of Christ. We're to celebrate what? His death and resurrection. But he cannot die unless he's what? Born. And so we, we, today, we celebrate Christmas for when Jesus would come into this world to save by dying on a cross for our sins. And so, um, matter of fact, you cannot understand Jesus of the New Testament if you don't know the Old Testament. Because everything in the Old Testament is pointing to him. It's all pointing to him. The Levitical, all those priestly sacrifices you want to skip in Leviticus, it all points to Jesus, all right? It's all about Jesus, ultimately. It was just a foreshadow. That's what the Old Testament was. All these rituals and stuff, it was all a foreshadow of Jesus coming. He was preparing his people for the ultimate Messiah. And that's what Jesus is. He's the Messiah. He's the anointed one. He's the promised one. And promise, what are you talking about? What's this promise? It's the oldest promise in human history. Did you know that? It's the first promise ever given in the Bible. Genesis chapter 3. It's actually the darkest chapter for humanity. It's when Adam and Eve, who lived in a perfect world, they were created perfectly, but then they made an imperfect decision. (laughs) They decided to do things their own way. They ate the forbidden fruit. On that tree. Now, we're not told what kind of fruit it was. I'm a sucker for tangerines. Actually, tangelos. I don't even know what a tangelo is, but I like tangelos. And uh, your country, I think your country, your country of California, (laughs) your beautiful country here, uh, I think, I'm not sure if you guys produce, do you guys produce tangelos here? Well, maybe one of you can tell me what a tangelo is after after the service. And uh, I'm not sure what a tangelo is, but man, they taste good. I like tangelos. All right? But uh, I don't know. We're not told what fruit it was. I would have been a sucker for the, for the tangerine or the tangelo, all right? But they disobeyed God. And God came, and he looked for man. After the sin, God came into the garden. It's interesting that God called out, and anatomy did what? They hid. They knew some, something had changed in that relationship. They didn't know what it was, but they didn't want to be around God. And so they went somewhere else. They left. They went and hid themselves. And uh, God called out. 
It's the first invitation ever given in the Bible. Jesus said, where are you? Come here. In other words, where are you? It's not like that Jesus lost them. Jesus knew where they were. God said, come here. Come to me. Where are you? Come here. In other words, come back to me. Come back. God's inviting them to come back to him. It's the first invitation ever given in the Bible. And then, but God, you know, asked him, you know, what did you do? And uh, remember what Adam's excuse was? I mean, a typical man, right? It's that woman that you gave me. He threw his wife under the bus and then blamed God at the same time. It wasn't real smart, was it? But that's what he did. And we laugh about it because it, it, it is so typical male. <laughs> but then God cursed everything involved. God cursed Adam. He cursed the woman. He cursed creation. He cursed the serpent, the snake. But then he cursed Satan. And he said, Satan, your days are numbered. For one day, there's going to be a seed of woman. The seed of woman, not a seed of man. This is the only time you'll ever see this in the Bible. It's the seed of woman. There's something uniquely different about this because it doesn't come from the man. It's not the seed of a man. It's the seed of a woman. One day, there's going to be a seed of a woman. And that seed, you're you're going to bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. In other words, Satan, your days are numbered. There's one day there's going to be a seed of woman that's going to come and destroy you. That's the first mention of good news. One day, this will all change, God was saying in the garden. One day, I'm going to send a special seed of a woman to come and to destroy your work, Satan. That's the first mention of good news in the Bible. And that's the promise ever since then The Jewish people were looking for that future promise fulfillment. It was known as, that person was identified as the Messiah, the the anointed one, the promised one. And when Jesus comes, he's called Jesus Christ. Christ is not his last name. It refers back to that title of Messiah. And so this is what we're looking at here. Isaiah, who lived 600 years before the time of Christ, before Jesus was born, gives us this verse. And it comes in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And this is the one, we're just going to look at one verse tonight, all right? We're going to take it slow, but we're going to look at this one verse, because it's a big verse. Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is, what? Born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So the first thing I want to look at is the origin of this Messiah, the origin of Jesus. All right? Just to look at that first phrase right there, for unto us a child is born. Now, I have a wife. We have been married 21 years. Her name's Kendra. She's from Tucson, Arizona. She believes that water freezes at 79 degrees. <laughs> As I speak right now, we're getting pulmonated with snow and, and ice right now back home. All right, I live up in the mountains, very close to where my grandfather lived. 
And um, it's a beautiful place. I love it there. It's a very beautiful place. We have trees. It's green. And uh, it doesn't take me two hours to go 20 miles. It's a very nice place. You should visit. But go back home afterwards. But a child is born. This is talking about Jesus' humanity right here, all right? That phrase is talking about his humanity. He is born. I have three kids. I watch all three of them be born. They were born. They came into this world. Jesus was born just like you and me. He is 100% man. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 says, Jesus was tempted as you and I, but yet he never sinned. He never sinned. He never committed anything wrong. But otherwise, he was just like you and me. He got hungry. He wept. He cried. He got sunburnt. He got thorns in his toes. All that happened. And, but yet Jesus would even ultimately one day taste death. Now, for, almost, <laughs> for every one of us in here, I'm sure none of us have tasted death. There may be one of you, maybe you died on the operating table and they brought you back. I don't know. But I can guarantee you that almost every one of us that we've never tasted death. Jesus has even tasted death. Something that you and I don't. But he knew everything about us. He knew our frailty. He knew how we thought. He knew what made us happy, what made us sad. He identified with us. He came as a human, just like my kids were born into this world. Jesus was born into this world 2,000 years ago. And he, and he came, and, and he was known as the, the Bible calls him the second Adam. Now, the first Adam, Adam and Eve, lived a long time ago. But, but through Adam, sin entered the world. That's why when I look at my kids, and my, I got very good kids. But guess what? They have a fallen nature. What do I mean? They do bad things. They're selfish at times. Even though they're very given at times, they can be selfish. They're disobedient. They don't say, yes, sir, no, sir. (laughs) You know, they, they don't listen to me all the time. All right? But yet Jesus came because of the first Adam who sinned, Sin entered the world. It's like a disease. You and I are affected by that disease. It's passed on from generation to generation to generation. If you don't believe that we have a sin nature, just turn on the TV. <laughs> All right? Read the newspaper or read your app on the, about the news on your phone. I mean, we see the evidence of a fallen world, don't we? But then Jesus comes into the And he's the second Adam. The first Adam brought death to all of humanity. The second one. Because he lived a perfect life, he knew no sin. Guess what? He gives us life, the second Adam. He lived the life that Adam was supposed to live, but he failed to do it. Now Jesus brings that salvation with them. That talks about his humanity. But look at the second phrase there. Unto us a a son is given. Not born, but given. This talks about his deity, his deity. In regards to his deity, Jesus was given. He was not born. He can't be born. 
He's always existed. There's no beginning to God, no end to God. So he can't be born. God can't be born. But God the Father gives us God the Son to come into the world. He gives it as a gift to the world. And he sends his Son into this world. And so this phrase right here is Jesus is not only human, he's also God. That's why his name is Emmanuel. What? God with us, which to me is one of the greatest names of God ever, of God ever, all right? There's nothing more comfortable or so wonderful to hear is, is hearing the phrase, God is with you. We see that over and over in Scripture. Have no fear. God is with you. You have the favor of God. That's some of the most comfortable words in, in, in the history of the world. But this is the second person of the deity and eternal. Therefore, he cannot be be uh, born, but God gives his son to us. He is 100% God. He's 100% God. He's 100% man. And you're saying, well, that doesn't add up. Yeah, it does. The 200%. It adds up. He's 100% God, 100% man. You say, well, I don't understand that. Listen, I don't fully understand it, okay? But let me explain it this way. I'm Billy Graham's grandson, and I get a lot of questions about my grandfather. But there's two questions, especially when he was alive. I still get one question all the time. What do you think the most asked question about Billy Graham that's given to me? What's the most asked question people ask me, you think? If you're here, you're going to ask me a question, what would be your question? You don't have to say it out loud. I know what it is. What does it feel like? to be Billy Graham's grandson. All right, let me just answer that and get out of the way for you, all right? Inquiring minds want to know, I know. I'm born and I'm going to die as Billy Graham's grandson. I don't know anything different than being Billy Graham's grandson. This is all normal to me, all right? I don't, I don't, I know my granddaddy's famous. I know other people's granddaddies aren't famous. Understand this. But for me, this is all normal. I know nothing different. And I have a, I have a, you see Billy Graham, I see Daddy Bill. That's our love name for our grandfather, Daddy Bill. And we miss Daddy Bill. But what's this? And when he was alive, I had another question that people always ask me Can we meet him? All right. Now, why do people, you know, but why? Why do people want to, for me, to, you know, why are they asking me to meet Billy Graham? Why not go ask your pastor Greg to meet Billy Graham if he was still alive? Why not ask your pastor? Why do people come up and ask me? Why? Because I'm Billy Graham's grandson. That's, that's kind of obvious, isn't it? I know, my big nose, you can tell. I love when these ladies come up to me and say, man, you look just like your granddaddy. I was like, ma'am, he's dead. <laughs> and even when he was alive, I was like, ma'am, he's 99 years old. She goes, I know, but you look just like him. I don't know if that's a compliment or what. 
But people come up and ask me because I represent Billy Graham, right? But there's, all right, let's just take this. There's 19 grandchildren. I'm in the dead center. All right? There's a, I, know they're, they're, well, I know you're like, there are that many of you. <laughs> yes, there's that many of us. And I do the same thing <gasps> when I see them. All right, so there's 19 of us. Why do people come up and ask me and not one of my other cousins? They don't know my cousins. I represent a relationship with them. I'm their friend. I'm their pastor. I'm their employer, whatever it is. They have a relationship with me, and I have a relationship with Billy Graham. I represent both sides. 100%, I'm always Billy Graham's grandson, but yet I'm 100% their friend at the same time. I represent both sides. It's the same thing that Job cried out. Remember Job in the Bible? And Job, you know, he felt like, man, like, what's going on? I, I feel like I'm being wronged here, you know? Why is all this bad stuff happening to me? And Job said, man, I wish I, wish I could go to court. This is what Job said. He said, I wish I could go to court and that there would be someone that could put a hand on God and a hand on me and bring us together. That's what Jesus is. Jesus is 100% God. He's 100% man. He brings the two parties together to reconcile both. All right? That's what we see in this verse. For unto us a child is born, his humanity. Unto us a son is given, his deity. And what kind of, what kind of Savior is he? Well, let's look at the next parts here. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Wonderful Counselor. Oh, I'm sorry, I skipped a part. And the government will be upon his shoulder. That's the first phrase, sorry. What does that mean? What kind of Savior is he going to be? This is what I like. He's going to run a bureaucratic, free government. <laughs> you didn't see that one coming, did you? It says the government will be upon what? His shoulders. Not... He and his advisors, he and his administrations. It's his shoulders. Now, please don't misunderstand. I'm not being political here. Let's just take our current president, President Trump, all right? President Trump, he can't carry the whole government on his shoulders, all right? He has, what, a cabinet? And then they have all their little officers and departments and stuff like that to trying to carry the load of the president. I mean, I don't know how many federal employees there are, but there's millions, right? Because one person can't carry it. And it's a bureaucracy. It's a bureaucracy. When Jesus comes, it's not a bureaucracy. It's just a one-man deal. He carries it all upon his shoulders. And that's why we can go directly to him. We can pray to him directly. It's bureaucratic. We don't have to go any other way. The shoulders... He alone shoulders the burden of the government. There is no bureaucracy. I remember in 2014, there was a, a breakout of Ebola in Africa. In 2014. Now, there's actually one going on right now. You don't hear it in the news right now. It's a lot smaller. It's a lot more contained. It's in Zaire or Congo. And that's where it is now. 
This one happened in Liberia, in West Africa, and a few other countries right around it. But it came really famous a number of years ago in 2014 because it was the first time an American had contracted Ebola. His name was Kent Brantley. Kent Brantley was one of our doctors. He was over there serving. I was with my dad up in Alaska, and my dad got the phone call. One of our doctors, Kent Brantley, has tested positive for Ebola. He's dying. And as soon as we heard that, the clock started ticking. He had 14 days. No one had lived past 14 days. Once you get it, you can mark your calendar and start counting down your days. You had less than 14. And so this has already been day one or day two until we found out. So now he's down to 12 days. So my dad got his team together and said, all right, how are we going to get Kent Brentley back to the United States to try to save his life? And, they, and one guy said, well, we got insurance for this. We bought insurance as a company policy that when one of our employees gets six overseas, we can fly them back, call them. And so they said, yep, we got your insurance right here. That's good. Everything's paid for. Yep. All right. So uh, what's the problem? Well, we have someone sick. Okay. Um, where is he? He's in Liberia. Where? Liberia. Mm. What does he have? Ebola. Your policy's not covered. They wouldn't go. And one reason is because it was such a contagious disease, their airplanes physically couldn't hold and contain that disease. That was the problem. And so we're trying to get them into other countries. We couldn't get them into the other countries. Airlines weren't going to fly them, normal airlines, which that's obvious. That wouldn't make sense. But we couldn't get them out. And we didn't have a plane that could go that far to pick them up and get them. We'd have to go through other countries, and other countries wouldn't let him come through. It was a very, very serious disease. And, and our, so we had a 24-hour war room trying to save this man's life. Because when they're up in Africa and we're getting updates, well, no one's awake over here. Then by the time they're going to bed, we're waking up. Well, we got to start working on our end on stuff. So we had a 24-hour thing trying to save this man's life. And one of our guys, he finally talked to a man at the government and said, the guy said, hey, you need this, it's called a level four containment plane. And uh, that's what you need to get if you're going to be able to do this. And we said, well, that's great. Uh, where, where can I find one? They said, well, the government's got one. The government? Oh, everything goes, you know, with the government, everything goes real quick, right? <laughs> and we said, well, who do we need to talk to about this, this asset? And the guy said, well, I guess, I guess it would be me. <laughs> we were talking to the guy that controlled this asset for the federal government. Can we use it? Yes, but we had to get permission. All right. Do you know how long it would take to get permission? You think you can get it in 10 or 4? This is actually now in about day 4 or 4 more days, 4 more days of life. How long do you think you think Kent, you think Kent Brantley would have years for the bureaucracy to go through? To his credit, President Obama cut all the red tight and said go get him. He gave up the asset let us allow to use the asset. Cost us two hundred thousand dollars a pop. We had two infected. It's worth every penny. And we sent that plane over there to get Kent Brantley to rescue him. All because Obama cut the red tape. There was no bureaucracy. He made the decision himself. And my friends, this is what God does. He cuts all the red tape. We go straight to Him. Jesus alone carries the burdens of the world. Matthew eleven twenty says, "Come to me, all you are heavy laden and." We will give you rest. I'll give you rest. 
Come to me, Jesus says. Come to me, all you are heavy burden, and I will give you rest. We can go straight to God, our Heavenly Father, with anything that we need. We don't have to go through any person. We don't have to go through any rituals, and we don't have to pay any fees like your toll roads. The second thing he is, says he is a wonderful counselor. And if there's one word that could describe the world that we live in, it's pretty, well, I guess it's two words, messed up or chaotic. It's crazy out there. And people are looking for answers to their problems. And listen, same thing in the Bible. People in the Bible were looking for answers to their problems. And guess where they went to? They went to Jesus. Matter of fact, uh, in the Bible, people sought Jesus' counsel. He counseled a ruler of the Jews named Nicodemus. He counseled a woman drawing water from the well, trying to figure out where do we need to worship. He counseled a fisherman. He counseled tax collectors. He counseled even a doctor. Jesus' people sought his counsel on things. He's a wonderful counselor, my friends. All types of people sought his counsel. And the Bible says, and they were astonished in the Bible. Luke chapter 4 says this, and they were astonished at his teaching, for his word was with authority. Matthew chapter 7, verses 28, 29, it says, and so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. In other words, all the other religious educated people, his something, there was something different about his teaching. They had authority like they'd never heard before. Matter of fact, when Jesus was on trial, he stood before the Roman governor, the one person, that, the most powerful man in that area, Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate interviewed Jesus. He interviewed Jesus, and do you know what the Bible says? This is what the Bible says. It said that he marveled greatly at Jesus. He had never met someone like Jesus before. He had met all these important people. He probably met Caesar himself. He met all these kings and queens, but there was something uniquely different about Jesus. Even Pilate recognized this. There was something different about Jesus. Jesus is the only one who gives us correct counsel all the time. But we see people search for counsel in all the wrong places. Now listen, human counsel goes only so far. It stops short at the point of power that is. In other words, the human counsel has no ability to empower anybody to do anything right. It's great advice but it does not empower you to do anything. Christ gives you the power to do it. That's what's different about Jesus' counsel. Jesus is the best counselor we could ever have, my friends. Let's look at the next phrase. Not only is he a wonderful counselor, it says that he's a mighty God. In other words, he's the all-powerful God. He's the mighty God. He gave sight to the blind man. I mean, this is such a unique story in John chapter 9 because when Jesus healed this man, this man was born blind. 
And the man said, I want to receive my sight. So Jesus stood down there, got some clay, put it on his eyes and said, go wash in that pool over there. He goes washing in the pool and boom, he can see. And everyone was amazed. Hey, wasn't that guy born blind? Yeah, and then the religious people were hearing about it. Like, how did, how did Jesus do that? So they said, it must not be the same kid. You know, it must not be the same. So he went and got the, they decided to have a trial. All right? This poor guy that been, now he can see, now he's put on trial. So they bring the parents in and say, is this really your son? Yes. Well, how come he can see? All we know is that he was born blind, and now he can see. And, and on top of that, I love this, they said, he's a grown man. Ask the questions to him. Forget us. Like, stop bothering us. He's a grown man. So they bring the man back in, the son, and said, you know, how do you see? He goes, he said, I don't know how it happened. All I know is that Jesus healed my, and gave me sight. That's all I know. Bingo, that's it. A man named Jesus, I could not see, but now I can. And they didn't, they didn't like that. And so they threw him out. They excommunicated him. <laughs> All right, because why? Jesus gave sight to the blind. And here was the amazing thing. This is the, this is the man giving the testament. He said, he said, listen, we've heard, this is what he said, we've heard of people who had sight, who had gone blind and received their sight. All right, we've heard about that. In other words, probably someone had fallen off, hit their head, temporarily lost their vision, and then it came back. But he said, that, but this is what the man said. He said, but no one has ever heard of someone being born blind ever receiving their sight. That was such, so this was something very unique. And the religious leaders didn't like that answer. They threw him out of church. He made the lame to walk in John chapter 5. A man who'd been sitting there for 38 years. You know what happens when you can't walk for 38 years? Your legs go, got little chicken legs, all right? I'm serious, you got no muscle mass, nothing. And then Jesus said, Jesus said to the chicken legs, get up and pick up your mat and walk. All right, think about it. His muscles grew. His tendons were strong. His coordination was there after 38 years. Don't know, we don't know if he was born that way or just something happened and he was lame for a long time. But his body just all of a sudden, boom, he got up and walked off. That's called a microphone drop. Boom. <laughs> he healed lepers, Matthew chapter 8, and it said they were healed instantly. It wasn't like they started getting better over time. Boom, gone. Matter of fact, he raised a dead man to life. Lazarus. Man, I would have loved been there for that one. Lazarus, come forth. Boom. There he was. He spoke our world into existence. He took a formless world and spoke, and it was a chaotic world, a world without form or void, with, uh, with no form to it. It was void. He spoke it into existence. Sun, boom. Stars, boom. Water, boom. Plants, boom. Animals, boom. Just there. But then when it came to man, guess what? He didn't speak a word. What did he do? He got into the dirt and started forming man out of the dirt. And then he did what? 
breathe life into them. My friends, I want you to know that you're handmade. God didn't speak into your handmade. Each and every one of you are handmade in God's image. That's how special you are to God. God just didn't speak you like all the other animals. There's something uniquely different about you and me, humans, that is. God designed us to have a relationship with him. We're made in his image. The animals are not. We're not like all the other animals. We're different. God created us special. And I want you to know one thing. You are special in God's eyes. You may not feel like it. You may not look like it. But you're special in God's eyes. God knows everything about you because he made you. He knows your name. He knows everything about you. He knows when you were born. He knows when you're going to die. He knows everything about you. The Bible says in Colossians 1.16, For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible. The psalmist writes in Psalm 33, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. That's how powerful all is. He can, do, he can do the impossible things in your life. He sees all, therefore he knows all, and he has the power to fix all your problems in life. He's the all-powerful God, my friends. This is not some other any child. This is God in flesh coming. Let's look at the next one. He's the everlasting father, or the father of eternity, basically. He's eternal. There's no beginning, no end. God is always there. He's always here. 365 days, 24 hours a day, he's here. He sees all. But yet he's a loving, like a father. Now, I know some of you here today, maybe you don't know who your father is. Maybe you had a bad father. I'm sorry. But let me tell you about my father. My father loved me. He provided for his family. He protected his family. He's still protecting us in his family. He still provides for our family. He treats me like his son. He loves me. He teaches me. He encourages me. He disciplines me. I felt it (laughs) a number of times. And I'm grateful for that, all right? I'm grateful for discipline. It tells me what's right, what's wrong. It encourages me to keep doing what's right. And just like our earthly father takes care of us, so much more our heavenly father would do the same. If he takes care of animals, how much more will he take care of us, the Bible says. It says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 26, Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Then listen to this. Are you not more valuable than them? That's how much more. You're more valuable than them. God's going to take care of you just like our earthly Father does. He makes his will known to us. He disciplines us when we need it. This is God, that is. God loves us even when we don't appreciate him. I mean, listen, there's many times I didn't appreciate my dad, especially when he didn't get me what I want for Christmas. Think about your own parents. Were there times that you wish you could trade your parents in? (laughs) I think every kid said, man, I wish I could trade my mom and dad in. We, we've all said it, all right? I'm saying, but you yet you still loved your child. You still loved your parents. May not felt it at the time. 
And guess what? They still loved you. Even when you didn't appreciate them. God takes care of us because he's our eternal father and all-powerful. There is nothing too hard or too difficult for him to do. My friends, he can do the impossible. That's why he says, come to me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He'll take care of it. Finally, let's look at the last one. He is the source of peace. Both objective peace and subjective peace. Huh? What's that? All right, objective peace is like a, let me give you an example. The United States is not at war right now, all right? Now, you might say we're still fighting terrorists. Yes, we are. But we haven't declared war on any nation. Understand what I'm saying? We're at peace right now. We're not, there's no World War III going on. We're not at war. We're still fighting terrorism. I understand my brother was in the military. He did eight tours over there. Um, but we're at a state of peace. Subjective peace is the warm fuzzies we feel inside. Oh, give me some tea. That's, that's a real peaceful thought. Tranquility. All right, that's subjective peace. That's what we feel. All right? And I'm here to tell you that God is a source of both of those pieces. Objective peace. There will be no more wars. There, why? Because there's only one government. <laughs> He's ahead of it. He shares it with no one else. Matter of fact, the other nations didn't like it. They send all their armies, and guess what he did to them? He destroyed them. The mighty God, he destroyed all those who opposed him. He has brought an end to all the wars. There is physically peace on earth. And God has not only brought peace to this earth, but he's also brought another state of peace, spiritual peace. God has brought a state of peace, a state of peace between God and man. Why? Because he's the one that represents both sides. He could he figure out how to make it work. And he bled and he died on a cross to pay that price. There is a cost to that peace. In World War II, my grandfather served. And he was shot in World War II. And I know what you're thinking. Man, I never knew Billy Graham was shot in World War II. Because he wasn't. My other grandfather, the non-famous grandfather, was shot, all right? He survived. A lot of his friends died to do what? To buy the peace for our nation, all right? Many soldiers have died in Afghanistan for the peace of our nation. Peace costs something. It costs God, his only begotten son. There's a high cost, but he gives it to you freely. He picked up the bill. Romans 5, 1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 1, 20 says, And it was through Jesus who reconciles all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of the cross. In case you didn't know, he died. That's what it means, the blood of the cross. He died. He physically died on the cross so that you could live. The whole purpose for Jesus' coming was to die for you. That's how much he loves you. That's how special you are in his eyes. And God wants you to experience peace personally. That's why Jesus said in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. My peace, I give it to you. It's not as the world gives peace. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. It's interesting. Do not be afraid, it said. 
The one thing that robs you of peace is fear. Fear. Fear robs us of peace. And maybe there's some of you here right now that you're living in fear. And you have no peace in your heart right now. You know that you're going to heaven, but personally down inside, those warm fuzzies, they're gone. You can't experience it because you're living in fear. And maybe some of it, and you're living in fear maybe because you got a bad health report. Maybe you're being alone for the very first time this Christmas. Maybe you lost a, a spouse, maybe a child, a friend, a co-worker. And for the first time in your life, you're not going to have that person here at Christmas. And you feel alone right now. And that's that fear that's coming into your heart. Fear has seized your heart, but God wants you to be free of fear. We are called to live by faith and not by fear. I remember when I was in, I was pastoring a church in Raleigh, North Carolina, and I love it. I still miss, still miss it today. And, uh, but I realized God called me one day in 2006 to leave my church, and I really didn't want to leave. I like being a pastor. I the funny thing is I never wanted to be a pastor. Now I didn't want to leave. But I, I didn't know who to talk to. I mean, Pastor Greg, you, you're a pastor. If you're wanting to leave the church, it's hard to talk to someone in the church about leaving. I mean, because what happens is it's going to be, hey, did you hear Pastor Greg's leaving? Did you hear that Pastor Greg leaving? Did you hear about It's all through the church. Even though we're not supposed to gossip. We, we share prayer requests out loud. Let's pray for Pastor Greg. He's thinking about leaving the church, all right? I'm using his as an example. He's not leaving, all right? I'm just using him as an example. But I remember when I was a pastor, I was thinking about leaving. I didn't, I didn't, who could I talk to? Who do I talk to? I can't talk to my dad. He's never been a pastor. Um, you know, I was like, who do I talk to about this? I had a friend from South Africa visiting. He was a pastor. I was like, I'll talk to him because he's leaving tomorrow to go back to South Africa, and he can't tell anybody. (laughs) I'll talk to him. And so his name was Trevor, and I talked to him. I said, Trevor, I don't know what to do. I said, you know, God wants me to go help my dad, and I know if I go work for my dad, he's going to pay me less. (laughs) And I was like, "Um, I'm going to go have to, so I'm going to make less money. I'm going to have to go live in a more expensive area of the state to live in. Um, my wife is from Tucson, Arizona, and now we're going to go live in the mountains where it's snowing right now. Remember, water freezes at 79. So this is going to put a strain on our marriage. My wife likes to shop. There's no, um, um, what's a famous, what's the one in Newport? Fashion Island. There's no Fashion Island nearby. You know, and uh, not in the town I live in, that is. There's no fashion island near there. We got, we got a mall with two stores. <laughs> That's what makes it a mall. It shares a roof. <laughs> and so I'm starting to list all these things. And I was like, plus, I don't want to work for my dad. It's just tough. It's tough working for family. Any amens? Okay, there's a few of you. All right. That's tough to work for family. And so I was listening to all these things. I, you know, I got to work for my dad. He's going to pay me less. I'm going to have to buy a more expensive house with less money. 
my wife's going to be freezing and there's no good shopping and she might leave me. All right? And he's just sitting there smiling. He's in, isn't that great? I was like, no, these are the bad things I'm listing. These aren't the good things. These are the bad things. He goes, Will, you're missing it. And this is what I learned. He said, Will, you're living by sight, a.k.a. fear. You're not living by faith. And maybe there's some of you here today right now, your fear has crept into your life and you're seeing things with your own eyes, but yet you're not living the life that God's called you to live. You're not living by faith. Maybe your life is described by chaos right now. Maybe you feel like you've got a chaotic life. You've got all this drama going on in your life right now. And yet you need someone to take control of the chaos in your life and to bring order to it. Maybe you're being held captive by something, and you need a mighty God to break to your problems. There's a story in the Bible of David. He just become king. He'd just taken the city of Jerusalem to make it his capital, and the Philistines come knocking on his door in a bad way. They weren't welcoming him. They're trying to kill him because they know how powerful David is. And they come, and God says, I want you to attack them, but I'm going to tell you to hide in the trees. Go around the mountain, and you're going to hide in these bushes. Huh? That's, and David's like, no, that's not the way we normally fight. You're going to tell us just to hide? Hide. All right, we'll go hide. So they hid, they hid there, and God said when the leaves start to rustle, rustle in the wind, that's your signal to go out there and fight. So he sat there, watched the Philistine army go by. Then the wind blew in the trees, and they went out and attacked, and they hit him so hard that David described it, it was like a, a, a dam breaking forth water and going through and destroying everything in its path. It was such an overwhelming victory, all right, that David renamed the place Baal Perazim, the God of breakthroughs. And maybe that's what you need in your life right now. You need the God of breakthroughs to come into your life, to break through the, something that you're going through right now. Maybe you don't know what to do. Maybe you're saying, well, you don't understand. I've made, I made bad decision after bad decision after bad decision. And uh, my friends, maybe tonight you need a counselor. You need a counselor, a wonderful counselor, to come and speak into your life and give you direction. Maybe you have some decisions that you have to make here in the near future. They may be business-wise, family-wise, health-wise, I don't know. But you've got to make some important decisions here, and, and you need, you're looking, I need, you're saying, well, I need advice. My friends, God wants to give it to you. He wants to talk to you. Maybe you need that mighty count, or that wonderful counselor right now. Maybe some of you are looking for peace in life, and you don't have it. Maybe you don't have peace with God. You're not sure where you're going to spend eternity in heaven or in a place called hell. My friends, you can know tonight. You can have that peace tonight. You can have that, that, that sense of peace in your life as well. God wants to give it. That's why he's come, to give us an abundant life. But you've got to be willing to come to him. And so as we come to a time of invitation, my friends, I'm going to invite you to make this decision. That's what Christmas is all about. Jesus is calling out, said, come to me. Adam and Eve, come to me. He's inviting you to come to him, but you've got to come to him.
And you say, well, well, you mean I got to do that publicly? Yep. Listen, you're not coming to Will Graham. I can't do anything for you. I'm in the same boat as you. What I just want you to do, just, maybe just want to come up here and kneel at the front and just say, Lord, I'm giving this over to you right now. I'm going to give this, this problem I have. Lord, I, got, I, need, I need wisdom. Lord, would you give me wisdom? Will you counsel me, Lord? Lord would, you, Lord, would you help me to live by faith and not by sight? That's what I want you to do right now. And so I'm going to ask everyone right now, I'm going to ask everybody in this room to stand. I want you to go ahead and stand right now. As we come to our, this time of invitation, my friends, I'm just going to invite you to make this decision publicly. There may be some of you here today that maybe you've never asked Jesus to come into your life. If that's you, then I'm going to, this invitation is for you. You can know Christ personally tonight. And if you've never done that, my friends, then you are not going to heaven. You're not going to heaven because you think you're a good person or you came to church one night. That's, that's what's going to get you into heaven. It's because you made Jesus the Lord of your life and you trusted him with everything you have in life. And if you've never done that, I'm going to invite you to do that tonight as well. But there's many of us here as believers, as Christians. We've given our life to Christ, but we know some, we're not hitting on all cylinders right now. We don't have peace in our life. Maybe our life's full of drama. Maybe, maybe you're just looking, saying, Lord, I need some advice. I need help in some of my decision-making. Can you help me? And my friends, he'll do it. But as Dennis and them sing right now, I'm just going to invite you to come and stand right down here, or you can just kneel and just give it over to the Lord. Here in a few minutes, I'm going to close in a word of prayer, all right? But I'm not here to embarrass you. I'm not here to, to point you out. I'm just inviting you to respond to Jesus, the one who made you, the one who created you, the one who died for you. No one else died for you in human history. Will Graham did not die for your sin. Your wonderful Pastor Greg did not die for your sin. Jesus died for your sin. And all he's doing is invite you to come and to know him more. And if that's you, if he's speaking to your heart right now, I just want you to come and stand. You can come up here and stand. You can kneel at the front. Here in a few minutes, I'm just going to close this in a word of prayer. But you come right now. As Dennis plays, you come.